Welcome to the Power Hour, Episode 4, recorded live on June 16th, 2021. The Power Hour is brought to you by Chelan County PUD, building a brighter future. Today, we're joined by Dr. Jim White, Chelan PUD Senior Energy Efficiency Engineer, Tesla driver, and local inventor to answer your questions live about solar power, Chelan PUD incentives for new solar installations, home batteries, electric vehicles, and using solar power batteries and electric vehicles to power your home as the world transitions to Electric Grid 2.0. Join us Wednesdays at noon live on Facebook and simultaneously live on YouTube or on this Power Hour podcast whenever you'd like to listen in as Chelan PUD energy experts answer all your energy efficiency and renewable energy questions. Subscribe to the Power hour and never miss an episode. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton. Let's dive in. Hey, Lacey. How are you? I am doing awesome. How are you? Good. Yeah. Are you excited mm-hmm. to be here on your first Power Hour Q&A? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Are you ready? Let's do this and thing. You know what's really cool? We're actually streaming simultaneously right now on Facebook and YouTube for the first awesome. time. So I am really stoked about that. I am really curious how this is working through the magic of the interwebs to be in two places at the same time. So, Jim, you know, I think a lot of people are really excited to finally get their questions answered about solar power. It's summer, the sun's out, and they're curious if it makes any sense for them. Oh, hi, Lori. (laughs) If it makes sense for them to install solar locally here, we get a lot of sun. Um, can I just dive into the questions? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, sunny, sunny, you know, here comes the solstice, right? Coming up in just a few days. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Longest uh, day peak, of the year. Peak power generation time. Right. <laughs> and Jim, I'm going to start out with a customer question that we often get. I'm putting a new roof on my house. What kind of solar panels should I put on? Well, so, you know, technology still has ways to go. We take a perfectly good roof and then you're going to have to drill holes in it, unfortunately, to put some racking on top of it. Um, they call it drill holes and mount, put the mounting brackets on top of the roof. Um, and then you can get those plat electric. You can order them on the Internet. There's a variety of different sources. So that's, that's one way to go to, to put the system on. Eventually, someday in the future, there'll be a panel that actually goes on the roof goes becomes a roof. So when you're building your house, you put your roof trusses up and the solar modules will mount directly on the roof truss and become the roof uh, watertight and should last, who knows, for for as long as the modules last, which could be a long time. So so you basically take this like pristine roof, you get up there and you drill <laughs> drill it to put on these solar modules. When do you think the alternative might be coming out? And we'll see. You know, I'm working on that. Some others are working on that. So there's, it'll be a couple of years yet before we see something like that. The folks that I had installed the solar array, there's if anybody who's done some roofing and done it. We installed uh, 10 modules on the roof. Took took them about seven hours, I guess, start to finish. And, wow. Uh, they just volunteered, helped me out. So it's not something that's super, super techni- um, technical. And the modules, they, they bolt together, they plug together in the back and and simply plug and play after that point. So it's pretty simple. You plug want to make play. sure you get the right type of mo- right type of racking so that because they have to have the grounding built into it. Grounding is really important, especially for lightning. So you know, Yeah, we actually had it. lightning a couple days yeah, ago. That's right. <laughs> it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
All right. So so most of the systems now, it's not like 20 years ago when solar was coming out. Most of the systems, they are pretty plug and play, relatively straightforward, easy to find instructions. So you don't necessarily like you could hire a contractor um, or you've seen a lot of DIY installations up on the roofs. Yeah, it's possible to do that. They, they're simply, you can plug the modules together. It does help to have an electrician involved, especially when you're connecting it up to the, the electrical panel, making sure that that's all correct, that the wires are sized properly. The module installations themselves are pretty much plug and play, especially if you go with the racking system that you bolt down. And for a simplest system would be a microinverters where the actual takes the direct current and then transforms that into alternating current. There's a question John had asked about uh, what kind of solar credits does hey, the PUD hey, offer. Hey, Jim, are you the host? You're the no, expert. No, but hey. You, you, hey, you, hey, I was letting you finish the question. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. John does have a question. What solar credit does the PUD offer? So we're working on a credit, and it's, it's due to come out December of 2020, meaning I'm late, <laughs> and I haven't. It's, it's taken a lot longer than I would have liked to get it out there. But the, the solar incentive that we're looking at is a $300 per kilowatt credit or 30 cents per watt. Uh, if you put in a, a three kilowatt system or a 3000 watt system, that would be three times $300. Now that's based on, um, it would be based on the quality of your site. And we have a, there's an app that created so that you can look at the site and determine well if you're down in a valley and behind a tree or you're facing it to the west and to the north it's not going to be as good of a solar and the the rebate is based has to be based on how much energy that system is actually going to produce so we're looking at three hundred dollars as per kilowatt and if for a really for a good site for a you know an okay site it would be two hundred dollars per kilowatt for you know it's a mediocre not so great site would be a hundred dollars per per kilowatt and we have those broken out in those three three separate levels. Hopefully, I'm getting some charge numbers so we figure out where the pool of funds come from. But our goal is to try to get it as quickly as possible. But I'm guessing probably not till end of July, and we can start so, doing those. So it looks like John is looking to put a, a six kilowatt system up towards the end of July or August. So mm-hmm. you have a a router. Right, he's ready. He's ready for you to go. <laughs> yeah, and and ideally, I mean, since we've tried to get this thing out there, and maybe we could even make it retroactive. But that somebody else above my pay grade is going to have to answer that question. And if we got okay. it in this year, it would be great. Uh, I know we've tried, and COVID slowed some things down. But you know, really, it's it's me has slowed things down, and just not getting stuff out there the way it needs to be done. So it's taken sure. a while. But it Lots sounds like. It sounds like we might sneak it in right right there around when John is looking to install his system. And so right. I'll make sure that we share that on social media. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Thanks, John. John, John <laughs> I need to actually email me or send a message to the PUD here so I can come out and do a site assessment. And we can do your evaluation on your f- specific site to tell you if it's a great site, an okay site, or not so good. And that'll help determine the rebate amount. Okay, great. We're streaming live both to Facebook and to uh, YouTube so that you can join us on whichever platform you like. And you can type in your questions into the chat and Jim and I can see them. I'll, a- I'll ask and Jim will answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tim has a question. He is curious 
about what expenses there are for that PUD connection. When you're installing solar, you want to get onto the grid with your, with your PV panels. What's the cost? So there's a, right now the, the meter, we have a meter charge. Uh, it's th about 300 bucks. It's for, to put in, uh, it's a, we're in the process of changing out our meters and I'm hoping to get rid of that charge so you don't have to pay for it. The new meters that are that will be installed already come with a net meter, so they they have a device that reads the number of kilowatt hours that you're consuming in the home, and then they have another register which measures how much excess energy that you're putting back on the PUD. It doesn't measure how much energy is coming from the solar array. It just you're getting power in your home from your from your roof and from the PUD, and if you're generating more from your roof than the PUD that excess that goes back to us that, that will show up on the register so we need a meter that will will show that so it's a 300 dollar per um per installation uh fee that goes with that and i think there was a hundred dollar application fee so these are kind of things that we're working with you know it's like hey, we can give you here's our 300 dollar rebate but give it all back in fees that's not very conducive so i'm trying to get those down and reduce those as much as possible and so that's part of this whole time consuming thing that's involved in in working through all these issues in the rebate but we ideally what we want to do is make it so that our our systems are super simple as long as you follow the prescribed installations for a, a basic system it should be a plug and play and and here's your check not here's your check and write us one in return <laughs> right hey let's exchange some digital dollars that's not what right. we're trying to do we're actually no. trying to set up an incentive so that folks can there's been a ton of interest in terms of micro renewable energy going in in people's homes and properties and so we want to make sure that we're supporting that it's, mm -hmm. it's clear that customer owners are interested in it so tim just a follow-up question here jim are there any ongoing charges for that net metering so there would not be if you have a separate meter and right now we charge about three dollars and 65 cents or something per month for a separate meter that's a production meter and under this this program that your production would just be for use in your home so it's not as there won't be a separate production meter you could install one that you would just read yourself but it wouldn't be a pud meter and so you, we wouldn't be there wouldn't be a monthly fee for that three dollars and um, 60 fit five cent meter reading fee and so as long as it's on the same meter as your home there's no additional ongoing charges if people wanted to meter it you could just buy like your own little meter yeah you'd have to go with your own meter or if they wanted a separate pud meter then there's like a three dollar and some change fee for that but most people don't go that route they don't they don't meter it right separately so there's, there's some changes that we're looking at making with our snap program so the snap program is different because it's set up to actually measure that, and you get paid based on how much energy you generate. And we're looking at changing that program because of the, the success of it really that we've had extra production and, uh, but the contribution sides have come down. So the, the amount of money that your customers or, or producer are getting that has been declining. So we're looking at making some changes to that program. And we, don't, we won't need that production meter for the, the rebate program. Gotcha, it'd just be a straight net meter. Mm -hmm. Clean, easy, simple. Okay, cool. Jim, I hope that that answers your questions about the little bit of startup costs that Jim is looking to reduce. And then also 
for John, how much that initial incentive could be. And that really depends on, on how well your location is situated to actually generate solar power. Mm -hmm. um, all right, here's, here's what we were actually just talking about before. John's curious, mm -hmm. who are the solar installers in our area? We don't have an approved solar installer list. Randy's on the line. Maybe he knows some folks, but uh, Randy Brooks. But uh, I've, I've generally been referring people to Leavenworth Electric. I know they've installed systems in the past. Um, customers, to my knowledge, I've not heard any complaints. Uh, so Ann got back to us. Um, Ann and Randy Brooks, they recommend Beckstead Electric and Leavenworth Electric, John. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, Russ Beckstead and his group is excellent, too. Um, but I don't have a list. You know, any qualified electrician should be able to install the system. I we don't have a qualified list. Something we should work on. Yeah, Lacey. for sure. Well, well, you're the solar man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just hire you out. We don't need contractors. Jim will just go to your house with a tool belt, screw it in. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> Anne has a question. If we are only net metering moving forward, so this is different because you know a lot of folks are used to the the previous SNAP program, which was awesome for over 20 years. But she's asking, if we're only net metering, how is production measured for the state incentives? So the, the production meter for the state production center will still stay there. So that will be there for as long as the state production center is around. Um, and then there's also customers, we have some existing customers that their generation is not connected up to their home or to their business. It's to strictly straight back to the transformer. And so it's measured separately. And so we're, we're working through that issue to see how we can virtually aggregate those together or can we just physically tie it in and bring that power that's generated back into the home or business. So. so moving forward, most people, they're going to only be net metered. And so how would it work for the state incentive? Like, So for the state incentive program, that doesn't change. I mean, everything stays the same. There's no rebate for the state existing. There's no new state incentive dollars out there currently so that'll just everything will just carry on as as is right now okay so when john goes and puts his six kilowatt system up on his roof next month or in august what are the options that he has available to help him fund his system now and into the future so it'll just be the the rebate that would come from the pd the federal tax credit i think is still around 20 percent or so and uh, there might be a, I think there's a sales tax exemption from the state of Washington for the purchase of the system, but that's about it. Okay. So before, when solar was relatively new, you know, again, 20 years ago, there were various different sources and some of those like the state incentives. If, if somebody was set up with those before, they'll continue into the future. Um, but if you're just starting with solar power generation, a lot of those incentives have kind of, you know, the, the market is different. The cost is really different. You know, so don't feel bad. The cost of solar has gone down so much, you don't need a ton of these incentives to necessarily make it worthwhile. Well, yes, you do. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> you, In Chilean County. You're right. Correct. Let's talk about because that. We're at 2.7 cents a kilowatt hour, and it just doesn't make economic sense to put a solar PV system. You're never going to get a rate of return that's going to pay back the system unless your modules were given to you for free or something. But it's, and so what I've told folks is don't do this for economic reasons. I mean, you have to have other reasons for wanting to do it. Maybe you want to generate as much power as your car uses, or you just want to 
But that only works. That only works if you're charging your car when the sun is shining. Otherwise, otherwise you're using the grid as your battery. Yeah, and we have we we have a long way to go before we need batteries on our system. Really, I know everybody. Sure. That's a big common question: is can I put batteries on? I want to put batteries on my home. Well, batteries are fine for power outages. Um, that helps when the power goes out. You can have power, and that's self-sufficiency. And certainly, if you're off grid, you want batteries. You have to have batteries. But um, that battery, if it's used for power outages, is just going to sit there 99.999% of the time and not be used. So it's, uh, it's something, before you get to that added expense, We I think some technologies and other things need to come along to greatly reduce the cost. So, But as far as paying back the system, it we don't need batteries at this point. We can. It'll help us if the utility could use it for offsetting our peak and some other things down the road. But the energy that I put in right now, what it does, it doesn't affect the hydro system. Doesn't affect our dams. They don't slow down because we put hydro. <laughs> our hydro Turbines pump, are still spinning. <laughs> they still spin. They extract every kilowatt hour that comes down the river. But what happens is when we, because we're a, a national grid, when we put power into the grid up here. Some gas turbine or some coal plant somewhere has to back off to um, because there's that excess that extra generation. So we have more hydropower that gets exported out of the county, and that's one reason why customers may want to put in solar in Sterling County is because they want to be part of the, the solution, right? They want to be generating a resource. Or if I have an electric car, sure I could charge my car up and uh, during the day and only when the sun is shining. But I don't need to really because if um, peak hour, the best thing would be to would be to charge it up um, when the wind is blowing, or you know, there's a lot of other good times to to plug it in that that makes sense. And we don't need a battery necessarily until we we've generated so much energy that our hydro and everything, and then they begin to have to back off. Then we can begin to let's let's talk about battery energy storage systems. Yeah, we don't have to yeah. yet. For sure. All right. We got another question here. Tim is asking, how big does a solar installation need to be before we can get wholesaler rates rather than your residential rate? Well, it depends on the wholesale rate. Um, I don't know. I mean, currently we have customers now that are connected up straight to the transformer and they're getting a, actually, it's only 75% of the low load hour. Um, and right now, this summer, the wholesale price projections are or way up there, so you would, you could get a, a decent, fair fair price for your your power. It's something to consider. Um, so how you, how much more? I mean, what's the differential here we're talking about per kilowatt hour? I know that it fluctuates based on market rates, um, which is different, right? For residential, we play a flat rate. 24 7 365 when you start getting into wholesale and you're talking about the market itself which shalam pud we sell about 80 percent of the power that we generate to as jim mentioned to the western grid so the the revenue that we get from that is what helps keep our residential rates lower than the actual cost of providing the electricity to our local customers so the wholesale rate's going to change if, if tim if you go this approach you're kind of putting it on the market. What what would you say, Jim, moving forward? How much of a differential would there be? So I've looked at um, being a big solar array and putting in large solar arrays. Like we're looking at putting in a big system down by Rock Island Dam. And that system is one or two megawatts of power. And it would be competing 
with power on the wholesale market. Our traders generally don't mess with stuff that's less than 20 megawatts. So really even to get on their radar screen and to make it worthwhile, you have to have a very, very large system to make it to where we could, you know, make it. How, cost how many acres are we talking about? And, it, for... and it, even then it's still not cost effective. So, I mean, sure. you look at, you might list, the best thing is if you could find a buyer for that, somebody's willing to pay, not just wholesale market, but beyond wholesale and paying for that, for that green energy. So we don't have a specific program in place. It's, it takes a large, large system, uh, two or 3,000 kilowatts um, before we even talk about getting it into a f- full wholesale rate on peak kind of during the daytime hours. Yeah, for sure. Because what's happening is California is one of the larger markets that we sell to. And so, yeah, you're right. It's, it's summer during the day. It's the AC peak that we're seeing. And so having solar up here wouldn't necessarily be a horrible idea to feed into that um, and because the rates can peak like already this year, which has been crazy. The wholesale market has been peaking at like $200. Yeah, 20 cents. In other words, yeah. 10, 10 to 20 cents per kilowatt hour versus our yeah. rate of 2.7 cents. General wholesale rates averages about three and a half cents per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. So we're selling it to our customers at 2.7 cents per kilowatt hour. The other thing to keep in mind is that, yeah, they're high now this year. This is a, we're having a low water year. But in the past, we've had typically solar in April, May, June, those months when we have a lot of water, a lot of solar, and um, not much loads. And power prices can be flat or zero, you know, even negative pricing. So if you play the market, it can kind of go yeah, so So how much do you want to let it ride, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. If you are just joining us, I am here with Dr. Jim White. Uh, He never goes by doctor, but I'm going to call him that because he does have a PhD in mechanical engineering. And he is our resident solar expert, uh, electric vehicle driver. I don't know. There haven't been any electric vehicle questions yet. Just a lot of solar questions. If you have questions, go ahead and drop them into the comments on YouTube or on Facebook. And Jim can answer those here for you live. All right. Here's a, here's a really common one, Jim. How much are folks looking for to put solar power on their homes? And I know this depends on size, but what, what's the current rate? It's changed a lot throughout the years. Yeah, I was going to check to see what the current rate is. I know it's under a dollar per watt. We're probably 67 cents per watt for solar the modules themselves. Wholesale prices for solar modules are around 30 cents per watt. Um, but then you add on that. So you've got the module cost. Then you have to have the inverter, which takes that direct current and converts it to alternating current. And so you can either plug all your modules together and then plug them down to have a, or little microinverters that go on the back of each panel. And that's going to be another th- about 30 cents per watt. Um, so we're up to 60 cents to a dollar per watt for the modules and the inverter. Now we add on the cost of the racking and wires and, and inter- um, material costs, you're, you're around a dollar, dollar twenty, dollar fifty per watt. Um, and that's a pretty conservative price. Then and then beyond that would be the cost. So when I say a dollar or a dollar twenty or dollar fifty per watt, if it was one dollar per watt, a one thousand watt system would cost you um a thousand dollars. Um and if it's fifteen hundred dollar or one dollar and a half per watt, obviously it's fifteen hundred dollar. And then so, incentive, what, what system are you are you typically seeing on homes that get put in here locally? 
both. both. Okay. Um, what I found is that there's a there's different advantages to each and all. I like the the um, I put string inverters on mine because it's um, but you have to, you're dealing now with high voltage DC direct current. You can have voltages in your systems that run up to four or five hundred volts, which is a lot. And but there's devices they have that that go on the back and that they optimize the panel so that if the um, the disc if there's a disconnect, the wires the voltages drop and the, it drops the voltage down to one volt per watt. So you would have a typical panel. Wouldn't be any more voltage than your 12-volt battery on your car. And it keeps it safe, but it also protects that panel and keeps the rest of the system producing even if one panel is stops producing or has is shaded, et cetera. So what I'm hearing is that the modern panel is a pretty smart panel. Um, and no matter which, you know, if, if you want to talk specifics about which exact system and the sizing and kind of things like that, you could definitely give Jim a call. Um, I'm sure that you'd be happy to walk people through their specific situation. One, just one more final thing about installation costs. Sure. Just so it's that you've got that. That's your material cost, and you have to add on labor three dollars. I wouldn't. I, if I'd really questions the bigger the system, the smaller the cost per watt. The labor they can spread out. So I would think around three to four dollars. But if you're starting to pay more than that, really look around and and reconsider getting someone else to quote on the project. We have, we have a question here about EVs. Let's just do a hard left and switch over to EVs because I'm excited about this one. You ready? Okay. All right. So we have a question about incentives for installing a home electric vehicle charger. Jim, what do you got? So we have 2.7 cents per kilowatt hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's our incentive. Um, yeah, subsidized rates help for sure when you're charging right. your car. I you're, mean, it, you're paying low rates. Yeah, uh, uh, when you put on a solar car, you're you're starting to use up that hydropower, and so you're using up our power. That excess energy that we're selling to California makes it difficult. We're we're actually losing money on every electric vehicle that's installed in the county from a revenue sale. Our revenue at the Chelan PUD, it's the opposite of energy efficiency. So we're you're consuming power that we could be selling for more power for more costs on the wholesale market. So we don't really have a financial incentive for that, but there is the low carbon fuel standards that the legislation Washington state legislature passed this last session. And there may be some opportunities if we can offset some diesel fuel or, or gasoline and take that carbon savings and they may be able to, put those savings and those dollars be transferred over for the electric utilities to use to help provide upfront incentives. So that's a possibility that, that we're looking at, at doing. So okay. There isn't so, really an incentive at this point for putting So no incentive for EV chargers. I will say okay. though, that we are looking at maybe being specific about when those chargers are actually operating. So and that's another that's, thing. Correct. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so we are looking at that. That's true. So the time that the vehicles charge, what we'd want to do is keep folks from charging their car on the coldest day of that, of that super cold event that comes through Chelan County. So where all our transformers and our power stations and everything, uh, there are the wires and poles and everything are designed for that coldest day that we foresee coming. And if we can keep electric vehicles from charging during that period, then we can give them a break for the for for saving it there's also differences in charging during at night and prices versus daytime prices so if we could encourage you and 
charge a lower rate, then there's a way that perhaps we can put an LED charger, we could pay you and charge you a different rate for and a better break and provide perhaps an incentive or put that charger in at little or no cost. And that's one of the things that I'm looking at doing in terms of looking at the economics of doing that. For sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, it sounds really cool and new age, but really this is kind of leveraging old tech and old programs. So up in Canada where I used to live, we had block heaters and battery heaters and we did the same thing, right? Well, you know, if everybody puts it on all night long, you don't really need it all night long. If you're going to work at a certain time, you can, you can charge it right before you're ready to go to work and still have your diesel start up in the morning in Saskatchewan. Some of these things are leveraging sort of old technology in a new way, which is really exciting. One, one other thing I'll say about home charging, we just use a regular wall outlet. So we use the charger that came with our car and you just plug it into a regular- What kind of car do you have, Jim? Uh, it's one of those little, the, the Teslas things. The Tesla <laughs> things. Cool. So yeah. Teslas can run off of just a standard standard wall outlet? Standard wall outlet. Now we live in town. So our driving, we drive 30, 40, 50 miles typically at most, you know, in a day. And all our charging is done with that 110 outlet. Now, if you drive back from Seattle and you want to turn around and drive back the next day, no, nah, it's not going to do that. But then we would, we would hit a high power charger if we needed to do that. We also have another, one of the dryer outlets that we, you could plug into and use it for charging if you needed to charge something in say four or five hours. Uh, from, but generally rarely use that. So if, but we live in town. If you live perhaps outside and you commuted, you had a long commute and you drive 50, 60 miles in a day, you would need something more than that. And you could go with a, a dryer outlet type plug where you need that bigger type of type of socket. Okay. So you don't need like special, like I see the, I see the Tesla superchargers and they look so sleek and fancy. You don't need any sort of special kit that it looks anything like that. Just like a dryer mm-hmm. outlet near your garage could, could that, do the trick. Yeah. And that's one thing that dawned on me is, you know, we have these chargers and we said, wow, look, this supercharger is here and this and that. And it's like, yeah, but we don't need it. If people driving through mm. Wenatchee or coming over from Seattle, they need it. But rarely do people living here in the community actually need to go to those chargers to use it. It's very rare. If you're buying an electric car, what you want is that charger in Cleelum <laughs> and the one over in North Bend in Seattle. <laughs> is there you one know? in Cleelum? There is, yeah. And oh, okay, cool. Just, so, you, you know, go. we scratch their back, they scratch ours. Like, right, right, as right. long as there's a distributed system all of the electric vehicle owners can benefit. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. We have another question here. This one is from John saying, I don't currently have an electric vehicle. A new charger was just installed in Leavenworth. What rates are being charged for remote charging? So locally at your home, you're just getting your discounted residential rates from Schlamp Beauty's hydro sales. But when you're out on the road, what, what are we looking at to, to charge? So generally, you're going to pay more, obviously. If our 2.7 cents is like buying gas at 27 cents a gallon, the um, these chargers, because they have to pay for that capital cost, and if you're charging that vehicle um, driving across country, you expect to gonna, you're going to be expected to pay at least what you're paying for gasoline or more. So the cost to fill up that car is actually the new ones at Safeway there in Leavenworth is about 45 cents per kilowatt hour. And so that's, you can see that's a big difference, more than 10 times, almost 20 times the rate. So still a good deal. Chelan County has some of the lowest rates, but still when you're out on the road, you're not going to pay close to $4 per 
per <laughs> right per yes. gallon equivalent yes. you're looking at a fraction of the price right and but that's given so you when you're driving cross country if you did all your driving long distances you're going to be paying more that's right for those chargers but most of your charging won't be done in those chargers if if you're a typical driver tim is asking any thoughts on a special interruptible rate to allow you to sell power wasted as spinning reserve mm. it has to be instantaneous in terms of us being able to control it and we'd have to have that on such a large level again we're talking 20 megawatts or type type of loads where we can really affect our generation so probably not for for spinning reserve um it's something that the automatic metering infrastructure will allow us to offer some special rates and off time you know so first of all what is like spinning that. reserve for <laughs> those of us that are not familiar with this so it's this fancy dancy word for if you're a if you're a generator and you're producing power and you got this hydro plant somewhere somebody's going to turn on a big 500 or 1000 horsepower a pump or some something's going to come on or maybe some wind turbine's going to quit or instantly or some mm -hmm. some loads and so we have to have a generator that's sitting here turning around ready to go and spinning and just in case ready to just step on in a split second to step in to meet that load because we're For all you people that asked about the tankless electric water heaters <laughs> we're talking about that right. <laughs> so everybody steps in their shower and turns them on exactly seven o'clock 701 p.m that's a problem go with the hybrid water heater instead tell so you. it needs to be instantaneous to get it the spinning reserve so jim can you talk a little bit about the plug share app yes i highly recommend plug share if you've got a phone and um put it on to if you're looking at you're buying an electric car and you want to know where is the charging stations where can i charge is it available what what are the recent reviews on it you can find out all kinds of information it'll tell you people that have hey you can charge up at my house and allow you to plug into their house they may have a we call a level two charger which could charge your car and you know for three to three to seven hours or, is your uh, house on there do no, you let people just show up and charge who i is would that a if you ask i mean yeah you could oh, okay I mean, I'd be happy to talk to some Tesla owners that want to come and sweep the breeze. But certainly, and then, but you can filter it. You can have, I, let's say I have a car, it only uses the Japanese style plug, or maybe it's the only ones that use, where can I find the common charge standards? They call it the CCS standard. That's that high level DC fast charger for all the American made cars that are coming out and the BMWs and others that call the CCS. And then where are the Tesla chargers? Are they available and how many or is it broke? And anyway, highly recommend. And that's a good suggestion on uh, the PlugShare app. Go for it. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of another common question that we often get. So we talk about solar, you know, locally being installed, like hardwired to our grid. But another one that people often ask is about their camper, their RV, powering their mobiles. What, mm -hmm. what do you recommend when people talk about that? Well, it's it's a great way to power up your no, you know, don't you just hate it? You're at a campground, you're in this the generator in the smell <laughs> of nature, and the motorhome pulls up and rang, you know, they get up and run their thing. It's just awful, stinky. Go home, you know. So 
um, put they can put panels. <laughs> Unless on it's there. raining, then there's not really the solar option. But yes, yeah, yes, you're right. No, there still is. There's these things they call batteries, and they store <laughs> the energy. You don't need to run a generator all the time. So anyway, there's peel and stick. You can actually buy solar modules that you can stick on the roof of your motorhome and drive down the road, and they're not going to blow off. And cook those together. There's a bolt in them, just a regular old framed module. There's ways to attach those to the roof. If you want to, you can lift it up. Just remember to put it down when you're when you're done. And the key is that those are really simple. Um, putting them in, plugging them, plugging them together, and then connecting those up. You need what's called a charge controller, so that when the the, the purpose of the charge controller is just to keep the battery from getting overcharged. Some of them can set it up to the optimize and get the most energy out of the panel. But main thing is just the charge controller and then the battery. And right now we're, we're the batteries that go to store the solar for your motor home or your cabin or even there. There's some lithium ion batteries out there, which are way ton less they're, they're, And they generate more power. They last 10 times longer and can deliver a lot deliver a lot more power but they're still very expensive the the mm. stationary batteries for your met, for your motorhome or your cabin have not caught up with the battery technology that's in your car so the price on the car batteries is probably a tenth of what it is for that stationary battery eventually it'll get there but we're not there yet but if you're going to plan to keep your motorhome for a while and keep it around for 10 years bite the bullet and bite and buy that that lithium ion battery you'll mm -hmm. be glad you did otherwise you just spend you know your summers are replacing your battery it's good for a few summers but not much more than that what about using your car with solar panels to power your house so what kind of combination could you do if you had say an ev some solar panels what if the power goes out how, how does that work uh, right now it's complicated <laughs> okay <laughs> and so but it, the goal is to make it a lot simpler and it can be made a lot simpler the um there's an interconnection between the, the batteries and you have to if you're going to power your house you have to how are you going to get the power out of your car into such a way that powers your circuit breaker panel in a way that doesn't back feed back to the electric utility so you're not trying to you want to just power your house during an outage using your car and so mm -hmm. how do i then disconnect from the grid so I can now power my house, use my car and use my solar array. And so that's what the whole industry is working on. Tesla's got their systems, but they, they generally involve replacing or rewiring your circuit breaker panel and putting in either a brand new panel or uh, a new splitting your panel off, setting a critical load sub panel off to the side. There's, they're working on that. My idea that I'm having and what I'm working on trying to promote through um, conferences, et cetera, is to utilize the, there's a disconnect switch that's located behind the meter. So this automatic metering infrastructure that we talk about, that's going to be installed on your the home. The smart meters. The smart meters. And inside that smart meter is this, is another switch that switch that can say, Hey, you moved out. We don't, you know, you're done. We'll, we'll just turn power off so we can turn the power off. But I'm my, my, what I'm looking at and working on is a, is a prototype to to use that switch. So during a power outage, the switch would open and isolate you. Your your house would now be disconnected from the grid. Now you could then 
And as long as that's known and safe and we can trust that, our utility work, workers, line workers, trust that switch, we can then isolate and we can now power up your home using the battery from your car, your F-150 electric truck or your Tesla or whatever you, you happen to put in. You can We can use that power to run through an inverter and provide backup power for your home. And conversely, if you're generating power from your roof, use that power to then feed back into your, your car battery. So that's so the goal. When- and I think eventually that'll happen. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is sort of related to grid 2.0 in the industry. We talk about how, you know, our grid was really set up as this like one way street where you have a power generating facility and then it just pipes to all of the houses and other users of electricity. And now we have a system that's a lot more complicated, right? We have distributed energy. That's a fancy word for solar or wind that's going online that might not be a wind farm, but just, you know, a little micro micro system that someone puts on their home to power things. Now we have battery storage happening on a more localized level. And so all of these elements, the grid, the grid has to change. Change is coming, change is here. Mm-hmm. Things have to adapt to be able to leverage, as Jim is saying, you know, your car battery with your solar panel, and then also using hydro dams. How can we link all of these things together intelligently to meet our energy demand? So it's it's an exciting time yeah. <laughs> in the utility industry. It really is. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is, and I like yeah. the, the I like the idea of actually the using the switch in the meter. That's a technology that's well established. It's been a long time. I think we can make this work, and it'll also simplify it. It won't be that complicated. A lot simpler mm-hmm. than the current. I have a stationary battery system, and uh, it's 10 kilowatt hours of storage, but the car, a car, a typical car is going to have 75 or 100 kilowatt hours of storage. So you can run much, much longer on the, just the car battery than you would by having to have a stationary battery that's mounted on the side of your garage. It's going to sit there doing nothing most of the time until you're waiting for the power go, to go out. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't happen so frequently to justify that. At least in our area. Some areas. Uh, that's true. You know, I'm, I hate to out anyone, but I used to live a few blocks from the Parliament of Canada, <laughs> a parliament, and at least 14 times a year, our power would go out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we were low on the totem pole for that system or something like that. But yeah, you're right. There are locations where power goes out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so a related question that we often get is, you know, we have all this great hydropower it's green. It's not a fossil fuel driven um, power source. So why would I want to put solar panels on my house anyway? You're saying it's not necessarily cost effective, but what are all of these other benefits? You had started talking about it. What? Mm-hmm. Why do people put them on? So the, I look at it an environmental aspect because the energy that we generate is displacing some coal or natural gas parts plant somewhere else. And I think there's a wonderful tie in with um electric cars and that currently Washington state gets its generation either from, we used to get most of our, our fuel from the Alaskan North slope. And that, that production has declined since its peak way back in, in the 1980s. And so uh, that's been made up from, from Canadian tar sands. And if you look at the Canadian tar sands and how that stuff is mined and produced, it's not so great either. And then we have, um, oil trains that come through carrying the Bakken oil fields from over in North Dakota. And so that's not so great either. 
And so mm -hmm. if you can produce power on your roof, that's the reason I talk about if you're using an electric car and you're plugging it in, yeah, you may not be using it the same time we're generating it and it's coming in at, you know, the solar's one time and the car's charging at night or something like that. But it, it's all, it, it all works together to displace the, um, the, the fuel sources. So if we put in, you're charging your electric car from our hand, from our dams, you're at least using something that's more efficient than getting the, the Bakken or the, the, oil fields in North Dakota, um, or you're, you know, that's even better. Even if it had to be some gas turbine plant somewhere that's running, you're using less emissions that way. But if you then offset that by putting, putting uh, solar on your home to generate more electron electrons that way, you're displacing oil and you're keeping that from, you know, that, that environmental things and all that are attached to that as well. Absolutely. And there's no local emissions. <laughs> right. And actually, is, if you tie in, if you have enough range on your car, and you could tie it there, tie into an app, you could look for when is the wind blowing in in Wyoming, and I'm going to charge my car when there's a high wind event, and you know, <laughs> so that could be your advantage. next app after take you are done with our solar app, which you're developing to figure out the generation capacity of a site. Then I'd like to see the synchronicity app. Okay, <laughs> somebody can do that. I know about my thing. I'm, I'm seeing we're all caught up on questions in the chat. This is a last call. We have one more question for Jim, unless unless other folks drop something into the comments. So Jim, the last question that we have is, is Chelan PUD planning to install any more electric vehicle chargers around town? Um, no, we don't, we don't have plans to put in EV chargers. We are working on a specific rate. So there'll be a rate schedule. These customers, I mean, these large charging systems, they have a unique, unique, um, what do you call it, profile. So we're working on a profile. So these, like these superchargers or these DC fast chargers, they use an enormous amount of power. Um, you know, it can up to a megawatt or more if, if every car is plugged into the slot. And uh, that can put some impact onto our distribution system. But we don't have any plans. So one megawatt if the entire if everybody's using a charger in that station, how much is Rocky reach is the capacity there? So uh, it's about Rocky reach is about 1,300 megawatts. Um, a typical Safeway grocery or, you know, large grocery store is about. So for reference, you know, any one time, if you were to go, you know, stick a meter on it, measure how much energy is that safe or that grocery store using right now on average, it'd be about 250 kilowatts or point, two five megawatts so and a wow. charger on an electric car i've seen up to 240 kilowatts my the car can suck up that much juice at any one time and then it as it starts to fill up it drops off but uh anyway typically some of these chargers are 100 150 kilowatts for each car charger as they wow. So they're, they're thirsty. And so, yeah, thirsty. the entire that's infrastructure the, has to be built around mm -hmm. when someone goes and plugs in. And that's only for those folks that are just there. They want to get my coffee, you know, plug in. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And when I come out, I want it full. So and that's that's when you'd want that charger. And that's when you pay 45 cents a kilowatt hour for that high powered that, you know, when you're going to be drinking from the fire hose, get out your textbook. <laughs> so. 
Right. Awesome. Jim, well, thank you so much for joining us on the Power Hour and sharing your expertise on solar panels, electric vehicles. If folks wanted to get in touch with you about a specific question that they have for their property or something else, how could they do that? Uh, PUD, I guess. I mean, through our, our email, James. James White at shalampud.org. J-A-M-E-S dot W-H-I-T-E. <laughs> At, and then I put it on the screen. Salampud.org. <laughs> yeah, and I also added added the phone number to the Energy Solutions team. It's not just Jim and me that that work here. We have a team of a few others that are also super knowledgeable about our the rebates home. and incentives, and you know where chargers are located. All those kinds of questions. If you have them, you can give us a call, and we will field your questions. Anything else, Jim? I'm good. I hope everybody else enjoyed it. That was fun. Thanks, Lacey. Hey, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll see everybody he- back here in two weeks, noon. We're sticking with noon because lunchtime is a fun time. <laughs> Next time, Jim, I'm actually going to kind of rope you in because we have Richard DeRock, the general manager of Link Transit. That's our local transit company. He's going to be coming in and talking about electrification, which you played a huge role in electrifying their system and the buses. And so we're going to talk about lots of ways that, you know, we can think creatively, as you mentioned, like we're a system. And so, yes, you can go and get an electric vehicle and charge it up super fast. Or, you know, a lot of the buses that Link Transit is running are running off of electricity. And so he's going to talk a little bit about those. And also, it sounds like they may have installed some new EV chargers. You look excited. Tell me, Jim. I am, yes. And uh, I want to put a shout out to Randy Ambrooks because Randy and Am- they were forerunners in, in the setting of the electrification of buses and, and hybrid buses and some of the early work that we did in getting buses out at uh, school bus, hybrid electric school bus, which actually was a precursor for some of the work that Link Transit and got their interest going. Um, I am super excited with electric transportation. The Link Transit, Mass Transit is going to get there first. They're going to electrify their fleet before the cities and counties that have those Mass Transit are going to get there first. Wenatchee and Link Transit is way out there in front on their electric vehicle charging system and their wireless induction chargers. They, uh, it's great stuff coming. And uh, who knows, isn't this incredible? I mean, you can power a bus on rainbows. Can you believe it? <laughs> I mean, we're talking rain and sunshine. Literally, you can run a bus on rainbows. Yeah, yeah. just chill out from here to Leavenworth. Traffic right. or no, they'll get you yeah. there. It's pretty That's brilliant. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice and so, Well, that, that was one of the biggest things the first time I got into electric bus is it's just it's so, so, so quiet, so mm-hmm. relaxing. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Richard will be here. I'm hoping with you also Good. to field some customer questions in two weeks, same power hour time, noon and same day of the week on Wednesday. Jim, again, thank you so much. And everybody have a fantastic afternoon. 
Thanks for listening to The Power Hour, Episode 4, recorded live on June 16th, 2021. We'll see you at noon on Wednesday, June 30th for our live Q&A on all things energy efficiency, renewable energy, and electric vehicles. Subscribe to this Power Hour podcast, and you'll know when Episode 5 is ready for your listening pleasure. Richard DeRock, Link Transit General Manager, will join Jim and me in two weeks for Episode 5 to talk about our local electric bus system, how Link Transit is leading the nation with cool, cutting-edge induction chargers, and how Chelan PUD can help other local businesses electrify their fleet while saving money in the long run. If you have questions or curiosity, grab a lunch and come to our next live event on Facebook and YouTube on Wednesday, June 30th at noon. Visit chelanpud.org slash power hour for more or email your questions to conservation at chelanpud.org. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton, hoping you have a fantastic summer solstice, Chelan County.